Amen. All right, well, we're there in Job chapter number 34. And of course, we've been on Wednesday nights going through this uh, book of the Bible, the book of Job, and we are in the midst of this monologue uh, from this young man, Elihu. If you remember, Elihu speaks in the book of Job uh, from chapters 32 through 37, and we've been looking at the words of this young man. And uh, tonight we're going to see some of the false accusations that Elihu brings against Job. And I want to start by just kind of showing you uh, some interesting things here, uh, just by way of introduction. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says this, Furthermore, Elihu answered and said, Hear my words, O ye wise men, and give ear unto me, ye that have knowledge. I want you to notice in in verse 2, he says, Hear my words, O ye wise men. Now, if you remember back in uh, chapter 33, uh, Elihu began in a very rude way. He said, Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches. You remember he spoke to Job and he referred to him by his uh, first name, which is not something that we've seen any of the friends do. In chapter 33, we see that Elihu directed his speech towards Job. In chapter 34, we see that Elihu is now directing his speech towards Job's friends. In verse 2, he says, Hear my words, O ye wise men, and give ear unto me, uh, ye that have knowledge. So he was talking to Job. Now he's talking to Job's friends. Uh, I also want you to notice here, we see it in verse 2, it kind of seems like Elihu is losing their interest, or he feels like they're maybe not paying attention. Uh, We see this throughout his monologue in all the chapters, but I'll just highlight it for you in this one. If you notice verse 2, he says, Hear my words, O ye wise men. Then he says, Give ear unto me. He's he's saying, Listen to me, pay attention. Uh, In verse 10 of the same chapter, he says, Therefore, hearken unto me. And it's almost like he's losing their attention or like they're not really listening or not really giving them the attention that he uh, desired. Then it also seems like Elihu is using flattery in order to manipulate uh, these men and using flattery as a manipulation tactic. And flattery is probably one of the most basic manipulation tactics. Now, I want to remind you and keep your place there in Job 34, if you would, and go back to Job 32 and look at verse... uh, 21, Elihu specifically told us that he would not be using flattery in his speech. Job 32, 21 says, Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person. Neither let me give flattering titles unto any man. Elihu says, I'm not going to give flattering titles unto any man. Look at verse 22. He says, for I know not to give flattering titles. He says, I don't even know how to flatter people. He says, I'm not going to use flattery at all. That's what he tells us in, th- in chapter 32. Now, I want you to notice in, ver- in chapter 34, in, in, in 33, we, we know he doesn't, he's looking down upon Job. He's speaking to him in a rude way. But in 34, he's trying to get the approval of these men. And notice how he refers to them. Verse 2, hear my words, O ye wise men. And give ear unto me, ye that have knowledge. Look at verse 10. Therefore hearken unto me, ye men of understanding. Look at verse 34. Let men of understanding tell me, and let a wise man hearken unto me. So don't you notice, with Job, he's like, listen, Job, let me tell you something. You know, and he's just rude. And then with these guys, he's like, you guys are so smart. You're wise men. You're full of knowledge. You're men of understanding. Uh, It sounds like he's using flattery. 
Seems like he's just a hypocrite. He's just uh, uh, someone. And, and by the way, when, when people have to use flattery in order to get people to accept their uh, positions or their principles, it should tell you something about that individual. You should be able to win people over simply with the truth. Uh, you should be able to uh, win people over with just the fact that you're speaking the truth, you're telling the truth, you're preaching the truth, and not have to use flattery in order to get people to be blinded to what you're doing. But anyway, I just wanted to point those things out for you. Let me give you some, uh, uh, a little bit of an outline here in regards to this chapter. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to maybe write these things down. The first thing we see in this chapter, and this chapter is filled. There's a theme in this chapter about false accusations and the accusations that Elihu brings uh, about Job. The first thing we see is the representation of Job according to Elihu. Elihu gives us a representation of Job, or he represents Job for us. And the first thing we see is the true testimony of Job. This is uh, what is actually true about Job, although Elihu and Job's three friends don't uh, believe it. Notice verse 3. He says, For the ear trieth words, as the mouth tasteth me. He says in verse 4, Let us choose to us judge, judgment. Let us know among ourselves what is good. And what he's saying there in verse 4 is he's saying, Let's, Let us just decide right now among ourselves what's right and what's not right. What's right and what's good. Let us choose to us judgment, let us know among ourselves what is good. Then he says this in verse 5. He says, for Job hath said. Now, he's going to quote Job for us. And this is actually, and, and he's being accurate here when he says these things about, about Job. He says, for Job hath said, I am righteous. And Job did say that. Job said that he was, uh, that he hadn't done anything wrong, that he was right. And by the way, Job was right about his righteousness. Job was not incorrect in that. He wasn't being a hypocrite. He really hadn't done anything to deserve what uh, was happening in his life. And of course, we've talked about that all throughout the book of Job. The Bible's clear about that at the beginning of the book, that he was an upright man. He was uh, a godly man. So here, Elihu says, for Job has said, I am righteous. And God hath taken away my judgment. And again, the idea is that Job is saying, I'm, I'm righteous, I haven't done anything wrong to deserve this, and God has not given me a, a, a hearing. God has not allowed me to enter into judgment and at least know what I've done. You know, don't uh, uh, at least be told why this is happening to me. And by the way, all, both of those things are correct. Job did say that. Job said he was righteous, and Job did talk about the fact that he didn't feel like he had a hearing with God, and he wished that he could take God to court and, 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 and be able to talk and, and see what his uh, 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 law, what the laws were against him and, and how he had broken the laws and what's going on in his life. So these are things that Elihu is saying that Job said, and they are correct. Notice verse 6. Should I lie against my right? My wound is incurable. Notice, without transgression. And again, Job is uh, emphasizing the fact that the things that are happening, he says, I have this wound that's incurable, but it's without transgression. I haven't done anything to deserve it. There's no sin that, that has brought this about. And these, this is a true testimony. Job did say these things. Now, the, when Elihu brings it up, he brings it up in a sarcastic way. He's saying, this is what Job has said. And Elihu doesn't believe it. Elihu's three friends don't uh, believe it, but it is true. And at the end of the book, and I won't take the time to, to, to go there. We looked at it last week. At the end of the book, God shows up and says, Job was right. And the three friends were wrong. And, you know, that ought to teach us a lesson about making assumptions. 
And we should be careful about just assuming that we know, you know, when something is going on in somebody's life, uh, maybe something happens in their lives that's a, that's a bad thing or a terrible thing. Don't just assume that, oh, they must be in sin and uh, this is God's judgment upon their lives. Uh, you don't know. It may be, or they may be the most upright man, uh, you know, uh, on earth. Uh, you, we just, we don't know what's going on and we have to realize that we're not God. It's interesting how we, we like to judge everyone and we like to judge everything. Yet we're not almighty, we're not all-knowing, we're not all-powerful, we're not omniscient, we're not omnipotent. We, we, we don't have those things. And the funny thing is that even God himself waits to the end of a man's life before he judges him. But you and I will often, like Elihu, make assumptions and assume that because this is happening, therefore this must be true about you. And what they believed to be true was false, and what they believed to be false was true because Job really was a righteous man. So we see the true testimony of Job, which they disregard. Then we see Elihu's false accusations against Job. And now Elihu starts making these accusations that are not true. Notice what he says in verse 7. He says, What man is like Job, who drinketh up scorning like water? Now notice what he says in verse 8. He says, Which goeth in company with the workers of iniquity, and walketh with wicked men. Here Elihu, and again, people will often debate whether Elihu is a good guy or a bad guy. Some people think he's the hero of the story. Some people think he wrote the book of Job. And, and if you're going to try to figure out, is Elihu good or is Elihu bad, you've got to actually look at what Elihu is saying. And here's the thing. In Job 34 and verse 8, he is just accusing Job of something that's not true. He said that Job goeth in company with the workers of iniquity and walketh with wicked men. He said that Job is friends and fellowshipping with wicked men. We know that's not true. We know at the beginning of the book that God said that he's a just man, he's an upright man, he's, he, he's, he's a, a, a perfect man, he's complete, he's mature, he is cheweth evil, he, he's not hanging out with uh, the workers of iniquity, he's not fellowshipping with uh, wicked men. But here Elihu just throws out this false accusation. He says, Job is fellowshipping with wicked men. Then he throws out another accusation in verse 9. He says, for he hath said. So he says, Elihu says, Job is, is walking with wicked men. And then he says, and by the way, Job said, it profiteth a man nothing that he should delight himself with God. And he, Elihu here is telling us that Job said something that Job never said. He says that Job said, it profiteth a man nothing that he should delight himself with God. Now, I want to show you where Elihu's bringing this and, and, and the fact that he's taking Job out of context. Go to Job 21. But before we, we, we even look at that or think about that, let me just make this point. What Elihu is saying about Job is that because... Because Job was rich and healthy and wealthy, and because he had uh, this great family, and he was very respected and very successful, and then all of it got taken away, that Job has made the statement, he says it in Job 34.9, Elihu's accusation, 
For he has said, it profiteth a man nothing that he should delight himself with God. Here's the accusation from Elihu. Elihu is saying that because Job lost everything, that Job made the statement that says, there's no profit in delighting yourself with God. It's not worth uh, walking with God, loving with uh, loving God, fearing God, uh, 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 serving the Lord. It doesn't profit you anything because Job lost everything. So therefore, he says it's not worth walking with God. Here's the the, the ridiculousness of that statement, and I won't take the time to go to the passages. But the 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 whole point. In fact, let's just look at it. You know, I keep saying I'm not going to go to it, but let's just go to it. Go go to you're there in Job 21. Go to Job one. You say, well, how do we know that Job didn't say it? Well, first of all, because we have all the words of Job written, and we know he didn't say it. But here's, a, here's how we really know Job didn't say it. The whole point of the book of Job, it, 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 the, the entire reason we even have a book of Job, it all hinges upon that one statement, whether Job would ever say that or not. The whole reason we have the book of Job, Job chapter 1, are you there? Look at verse 8. Remember this? And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and is true with evil? Not one that's walking with wicked men. This is a godly man. This is a man that avoids evil, avoids wickedness. Notice verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for not? The word not means for nothing. Has not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. See, Satan made this accusation against Job and Satan said, said to God, if you take away everything he has, Job is going to say it profited the man nothing that he should delight himself with God. And Satan said, if you take away the stuff from Job, he's not going to serve you. He's not serving you for naught. He's not serving you for nothing. He's only serving you because of all the blessings. If you take the blessings away, he'll curse you to your face. That was the challenge. That's the whole point of the book of Job. That's the one thing. If you can say anything about Job, that's the one thing he never did. He never cursed God. He never quit on God. He never charged God foolishly. He never said, and if you remember, he said the opposite. He said, though God slay me, he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. He said, he said, he can take everything away from me. He can even kill me and I'll, I'll not stop trusting or believing. The word trust means to believe or have faith in God. So here, this is a very wicked uh, accusation that Elihu says, Job said, it profited the man nothing that he should delight himself with God. That's wicked. And, and if Job had said it, we, we wouldn't even know about Job. Job would have lost. Satan would have won. That's, that's the one thing that Job never said. Now, where is Elihu getting this? Job 21, look at verse 7. In Job 21 and verse 7, and the verses I want you to see are in 15 and 16, but we're going to start reading at verse 7 because I want you to get the context. This is Job speaking. And notice what Job says, Job 21, verse 7. Wherefore, the word wherefore means for what reason, or for this reason, do the wicked live, become old, yea, are mighty in power. Because remember, the friends are saying, wicked people are punished, 
and, 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 and when the wicked people, God destroys them. So Job is asking, he says, okay, well then, if that's old or mighty in power, he says, I look around and it looks like wicked people are pretty blessed. He says in verse 8, their seed is established in their sight with them and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses is the rod of God. It looks like their houses are safe. It looks like God doesn't judge them. Hindereth and faileth not. Their cow calveth and cast not her calf. They send forth their little ones like a flock, and their children dance. They take the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. They spend their days in wealth, and in a moment go down to the grave. Therefore, they say unto God. Now I want you to notice. Job, remember, in verse 7, he starts talking about the wicked and how the wicked people prosper in this world. And in verse 14, Job says, therefore, they say unto God. Job is saying, this is what the wicked people say. They say to God, depart from us, for we desire not to uh, not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto him? See, Elihu is quoting Job, but Job was saying, that's what the wicked people say. So this guy is just taking his words out of context, and just because Job said that, but Job said, hey, here's what the wicked people say. The wicked people say that, why should we serve him? And what profit should we have? And by the way, isn't that what wicked rich people say? If you've gone soul winning, you know, wicked rich people often have this attitude, I don't need God. I got everything I need. I'm doing just fine. And Job is saying, that's what wicked people say. And then Elihu says, I heard Job say, and he, and he says what Job said as if Job was saying it when Job was saying, that's what wicked people say. And then right before that, Elihu says, and by the way, Job hangs out with wicked people. Now notice what Job says in verse 16. Lo, their good is not in their hand. Job just got done telling us how wicked people live and what wicked people say. Now Job tells us what he thinks about wicked people. He says, lo, their their good is not in their hand. Notice what he says. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. Job said, that's what wicked people say, but I don't believe that. He said, the counsel of the wicked is far from me. Job said the exact opposite of what Elihu said, but yet Elihu quotes him and uh, accuses him in a false way. And, you know, people might think, like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It, 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 it upsets me because as a preacher, this is what people often do to preachers. You know, you make some statement, and they just cut it out and take it out of context and put it on some YouTube video and try to make it sound like you're saying something. It's like, and, and then, and, uh, you know, you, you, all you can do is laugh because you tell people, if you watch the full context, I was at, we were preaching against that very thing. We were preaching against that, but they take that little phrase or something. And that's exactly what Elihu is doing here. He is saying that, Eli, that, that Job hangs out with wicked people and that he says the things that wicked people say. When Job was telling us, no, this is what wicked people say, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. So we see that Elihu is not a good guy. He's falsely accusing Job. And he's accusing Job of, uh, of, of a major sin. You say, what's the major sin? Go back to Job 34. Look at verse 8. Which goeth in company with the workers of iniquity and walketh with wicked men. You say, is that, is that a major sin? That's a major sin. Go to Proverbs 27, if you would. You're there in Job. Go Psalms, 
Proverbs, Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27. You know, the Bible teaches that we should not be fellowshipping with wicked people. And Job wasn't. But Elihu accuses him of that. You say, oh, uh, give me a verse. Okay, how about, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. How about the fact that the Bible says, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Don't walk with them. Don't hang out with them. Don't go down the road with them. And here, Elihu is, is accusing Job. He says, you hang out with wicked people. Hey, that is a wicked false accusation because that's a wicked sin. And look, we as God's people should not be hanging out with wicked people. You say, well, can I give them the gospel? Yeah, give unsaved, ungodly people the gospel, but they shouldn't be your best friend. You shouldn't just be spending a bunch of time with them. You shouldn't be walking in their counsel. You shouldn't be standing with them. You shouldn't be sitting with them. You say, well, why not? What's the big deal? Here's the big deal. And, and of course, this was a false accusation against Job. But the truth of the matter is this, that we shouldn't be hanging out with wicked people. Why? Because your friends, and look, every young person should just write this statement down. Your friends will determine the quality and direction of your life. Here's, here's another way of saying it. Birds of a feather flock together. You say, why, what's, why, why are you so offended that he said that, that Job hangs out with wicked people? Here's why. Because birds of a feather flock together. Job wasn't wicked. But let me tell you something. You hang out around wicked people, and you'll become wicked. You hang out with backslidden people, you'll become backslidden. You hang out with discouraged people, you'll become discouraged. You hang out with bitter people, you'll become bitter. You hang out with angry people, you'll become angry. And by the way, you hang out with godly people, you'll start being godly. You hang out with soul winners, you'll start going soul winning. You'll say, look, your friends will determine the quality and the direction of your life. So choose good friends. You say, what's the point of, uh, of knowing that? In our home, we often tell our, our kids, your, your friends, your friends are going to affect you. They're going to influence you. Your friends will determine the quality and direction of, of your life. So choose good friends. Proverbs 27, verse 17. You know the verse, but let's look at it. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. Go to Proverbs 25, look at verse, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 22, look at verse 25. Proverbs 22, verse 25. Notice what the Bible says, make no friendship with an angry man. Say why, here's why. And with a furious man thou shalt not go, here's why. Lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. You will be like your friends. Show me who your friends are and I'll show you who who you're going to become. Your friends will determine the quality and direction of your life, and you need to be uh, wise about what kind of friends you choose and make sure you're choosing godly friends and you're choosing friends that... And look, people often, they, they, they say, oh, no, I'm going to hang out with these, with my bad... You know, my, my friends are all bad. Go, go back to Job. And this is, this is what young people often say to me. I'm trying to, you know, pull them up. I'm trying to help them get better. I'm trying to help them, you know, make them better. They will make you worse before you make them better. I mean, just think about it. You know, you're trying to pull them up. Which way, which way is the, hardest way to, the harder way to go? It's much easier to go down the path of least resistance. If you don't believe me, 
grab a chair, get on it, grab your friend and try to pull him up while they're trying to pull you down and see who wins. It's much easier for them to bring you down than for you to bring them up. Your friends will determine the quality and the direction of your life. So choose good friends. Iron sharpeneth iron. Make sure you're uh, sharpening yourself with other people that are making you better, that are making you stronger, that are making you godlier. So we see the representation of Job according to Elihu. We see the true testimony that they discard and the false accusation that they believe. Then we see this, if you go back to Job 34, look at verse 10. Not only do we see the representation of Job according to Elihu, we see secondly tonight the reaping of Job according to Elihu. Job 34, verse 10, he says, Therefore hearken unto me, ye men of understanding, far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. Of course, he's referring to the fact that God doesn't do wrong, and we believe that. He's right about that. Look at verse 11. For the work of a man shall he render unto him, and cause every man to find according to his way. Now, what Elihu is explaining here is that you reap what you sow. This is a true statement. For the work of a man shall, be, shall he, God, render unto him, and cause every man to find according to his way. Now, let me just say this. This is a true statement, but it's not true about Job. Job is not reaping what he's sown here. He's not sown anything wicked. But Elihu is saying, Job, you're reaping what you sow. The, the reason it's happening to you is because you must have done something really wicked, and now you're just reaping the results of that. Here's the thing. The principle of reaping what you've sowed, true principle. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's true, but it's not true about Job. It's true that you reap what you sow, but it's not true that every time something bad happens to someone, they are reaping what they've sown. They may be reaping what they've sown, or they may just be going through a trial that God's trying to make them better. Or they may be Job. You know, they may, uh, there's all sorts of reasons why they may be uh, going through that. But here, Elihu just brings out this argument about reaping what you've sowed. Here's, here's what's interesting, and again, and I brought this up to you already. But I'm going to continue to bring it up to you just to make the point. Elihu made us a promise that he's broken. And his promise was this. When he, got, when he made the promise, I got excited. When he made the promise, I underlined it. And I said, praise the Lord. What was the promise? Job 32, verse 14. Go there. Job 32, if you would. Job 32, 14. Job 32, 14. Now, he hath not directed his words against me. This is Elihu speaking about Job. Remember the promise he made us? Neither will I answer him with your speeches. When Elihu made that promise, I got excited. Why? Because I just spent the last 30 some odd weeks preaching through the arguments of Job's three knucklehead friends. And Elihu said, I'm not going to make the same arguments that you guys made. Your arguments were weak. Neither will I answer him with your speeches. But unfortunately, Elihu lied to us. Because all he's been doing is making the same arguments that his friends made. And here he does it again. He tells us, Job, you're reaping what you sowed. Here's the problem. Eliphaz already made that argument. uh, Job chapter 4, if you would. Look at verse 8. Notice, remember when Eliphaz was speaking? Job chapter 4, verse 8. Remember we talked about Elihu might be Eliphaz's little brother? He seems to really like Eliphaz's argument and it's charismatic. I saw a vision in the night. 
Job 4, verse 8. Notice what Eliphaz said. Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. And Eliphaz was saying this about Job. You must have plowed iniquity. You must have sown wickedness. And now you're reaping the same. Here's the thing. The principle of sowing and reaping is true. But it's not true about Job in this situation. They're taking a principle that's true and they're applying it to the wrong guy. They're applying it in a wrong direction. And I, and I don't want you to, 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 to misunderstand. I think we've made this point. The point is this. You do reap what you sow, but Job's not reaping what he's sown here. The reason this is happening to him is a totally different situation. But with that said, let me just remind you. In fact, go with me. Go, go back to Proverbs 25, if you would. Proverbs 25. Let me just remind you that it's a true statement. It is a law of nature that God, that God instituted. You reap what you sow. And by the way, not only do you reap what you sow, but you reap more than you sow. The Bible talks about the fact that you reap the wind and you sow the whirlwind. The Bible talks about the fact that, look, the, here's the truth. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow later after you've sown. It doesn't happen immediately. See, if the consequences came immediately, we'd stop. But just like when you put a seed in the ground, it doesn't just become a tree overnight. It takes time. And let me tell you something. You will reap what you've sown eventually. And you will reap more than you've sown. You put a seed in the ground, and it'll produce a plant that'll produce many more seeds. The statement is true. Just... uh, Last night, I was on the phone with a preacher friend, and he was asking me some questions, and I was giving him some advice, and he was talking to me about a young man in his church who's uh, dating a young lady, and he was telling me about the advice he's giving this young man, and one of the things he told this young man, he said, you have to lead her to obey, because the girl's a little rebellious, he said, you have to lead her to obey and honor her parents. He said, you, you cannot allow this girl to disobey and dishonor her parents. And, you know, the question is, well, well, why? Here's why. Because you will reap what you've sown. Listen, let me talk to you young guys for a second. When you encourage the girl you're going to marry to rebel against her parents, you're an idiot. You're going to encourage them to rebel against their God-given authority, and then you're going to put yourself in the position of their God-given authority. You know what you're going to reap? You're going to reap rebellion. I remember when I was a, a young man, my dad, one of the things he said to me, he said, when you start dating, you look at how the young lady you're dating, how she treats her father. I remember my dad telling me that. He said, you look at how she treats her father, because that's how she's going to treat you. And, and by the way, the reverse is true. You ladies, you look at how a, a young man treats his mom. You see a young man mouthing off at his mom, rolling his eyes at his mom, being rude to his mom. Mark it down. That's how he's going to treat you. If, if my sons, and my sons are obviously young, if my sons were interested in some girl and she was rolling her eyes at her dad and being rude to her dad, I would tell them, you need to run screaming and yelling in the opposite direction. And if they say, oh, no, Dad, I love her, I would laugh in their face. 
I say, son, let me show you, let me show you your life verse. You want to see your life verse? Proverbs 22, look at verse 24. It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. That's what you're in for. You say, what? Well, how can you say that? Because you reap what you sow. Because you, look, when you're rude to your parents, mark it down. You're going to have teenagers that are rude to you. You say, well, I don't think you can, you can say that with authority. Well, here, here's what I know. You do reap what you sow. Now, sometimes things happen that you're not reaping what you've sowed, but you always reap what you have sown. So be careful about what you're doing. You guys want to go into the ministry? You want to go into the ministry? You better be the best church member ever, or you're in for it. You're just going gonna, gonna, gonna to be pastoring a bunch of yous, and it's not going to be good. Look, here's the truth. You reap what you sow. You want to start a business one day? You be the best employee. Say, why? Because don't you want good employees? Here's what I can tell you. You reap what you sow. It's a true statement. It's just not true about Job. Job's not reaping what he sowed. This is a different situation. Obviously, God told us about it. But the truth of the matter is this. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. You can sit there and laugh and say, oh, no, that's not going to be me. That's not going to be us. Oh, yeah, it will. It absolutely will. And I think it's good advice. Some of you should uh, thank my dad for that advice. You say, I'm dating a young person. How does, she, how does he treat her mom? How does she treat her dad? Pay attention. That's going to be you, buddy. Look, look, at that's your future. Job 34, look at verse 12. Then Job gives us all these miscellaneous things about Elihu, how he's, Excuse me, Elihu's given us this miscellaneous things about Job. And, and here's what's interesting. Elihu, for the next four verses, gives us some just miscellaneous things, and they're all true. And then for the next few verses after that, he gives us some miscellaneous things, and they're all false. So let me just show them to you quickly. Look at verse 12. Yea, surely, this was Elihu speaking, God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. That's true. God is not doing anything wrong. And here's, here's the truth. Job is, job, good night. God is not doing wrong to Job. God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. So Elihu makes a statement, it's a true statement. Look at verse 13. Who hath given him a charge over the earth, or who hath disposed the whole world? This is a true statement that Elihu makes. In fact, God himself is going to make this statement later on in the book. But Elihu says, who hath given him a charge? And what he's saying is this, who put God in charge? And what he's saying is, no one put God in charge. No one put God in charge, and because no one put God in charge, that means no one is over God. God, no one put God in charge. That's a true statement. Then he says in verse 14, If he set his heart upon man, if he gather unto himself the spirit of his breath, all flesh shall perish together, and, that, uh, and man shall turn again to dust. You say, what is Elihu saying here? And by the way, these are all true statements. In verse 14 he says, If he set his heart upon man, if God looks upon man and, and, he, and he, he gets upset, kind of like he did during the time of Noah's flood, Notice what Elihu says. If God, if he gather unto himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish together. Here's what Elihu is saying. If God decided to just take away everyone's spirit and breath right now, we'd all drop dead. And this is a true statement. If God chose to rain back his spirit and his breath, we would all fall over dead. It's a true statement. Then Elihu makes all these miscellaneous false statements. Look at verse 16. 
If now thou hast understanding, hear this, hearken to the voice of my words. Shall even he that hateth right govern? And wilt thou condemn him that is most just? Notice here Elihu, now he's just making these silly statements. He says, shall even he that hateth right govern? And he's saying, you know, people only get promoted to governing or to uh, ruling if they hate right. And at this point, we have to say, Elihu, what are you talking about? Lots of people that hate right govern. You're, you're wrong here. You know, and I don't know if Elihu's like a Fox News Baptist, where it, it doesn't matter how wicked, I mean, it could be, they could be as wicked as hell, and as long as they got an R next to their name, they're right. Well, no, you're wrong. Shall even he that hateth, hateth right govern? Lots of people that hate right govern. You ever heard of Hitler? You ever heard of Mussolini? You ever heard, you know, there's all sorts of wicked people. Then he says this, is it fit to say to a king, thou art wicked, and to princes, ye are ungodly? Again, here we're like, Elihu, what are you talking about? All throughout the Bible, because he's saying it's not right. Elihu says it's not right to tell a king he's wicked. It's not right to tell a prince he's ungodly. Well, here's the problem with that. If you've ever read the Bible, all throughout the Bible, prophets and men of God are pointing their finger in the face of kings and princes and telling them, you're wicked and ungodly. And they're saying it at the request of God. God sends them to preach against these kings. So here, again, Elihu's just wrong. He says, you shouldn't say anything against the princes. But look, there's no new thing under the sun, and this is exactly how Christians today act. Christians today act like, oh, if they're, you know, if they're, in governor, if they're the governor or whatever, as long as they're in my party, they're, they're, it's fine. No, if they hate right, they hate God, they hate righteousness, they're not fine. And it is our place as men of God to call out the wickedness and the ungodliness of politicians. So Elihu's just off the rails here. Look at verse 19. Then we see the revealing of Job according to Elihu. Here he, Elihu begins to tell us how Job is being revealed by God. And again, he makes some true statements that are inaccurate. Look at verse 19. How much less to him that accepted not the persons of princes, nor regarded the rich more than the poor, for they shall all, for they are all the work of his hands. In a moment shall they die, and the people shall be troubled at midnight, and pass away, and the mighty shall be taken away without hand. Look at verse 21. For his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his doings. This is Elihu speaking about God. And by the way, this is true. His eyes are upon all the ways of man, and he seeth all his doings. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the worker of iniquity may hide themselves. We talked about this on Sunday morning, but this is a true statement. God knows everything. God sees everything. Proverbs 5, look at verse 21. If, if you can go there, you, you're there in Job, you got Psalms and Proverbs. Proverbs 5, 21. Proverbs 5, 21. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. And he pondereth all his goings. You know that God sees everything you do? God hears everything you say? God knows everything you think? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. Proverbs 15 and verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Beholding the evil and the good. You know the Bible says... The Bible says that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You know what I think is hilarious? 
is people come to church like this, and I preach something they don't like, and they get all mad because I expose it to the truth. And I'm thinking to myself, but God saw what you were doing the whole time. Like, we get this idea that as long as, as, long as nobody says it out loud, it's fine. No, it's not fine. God sees it. God knows it. Don't you care about God? But pastor said it, so now it's a big deal. Now, you know, we're going to get all mad and angry. Let me let you know a little secret. God already knew. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. You ought to be less worried about what pastor knows and more worried about what God knows. We see the revealing of Job according to Elihu. Elihu makes this argument that God knows everything, which is true. It's a true statement. But then Elihu makes this inaccurate statement. He says, because God knows everything, then God must know the wickedness that Job is doing, even though we don't know what he's doing and we have no evidence. Well, that's false. Here's the thing. If Job was doing wickedness, then that would be true. But Job isn't doing wickedness, so that's a false accusation. Look at Job 34, verse 23. For he will not lay upon man more than right, that he should enter into judgment with God. He shall break in pieces mighty men without number and set others in their stead. Therefore, he knoweth their works. Now, this is what Elihu is saying, and he's talking about Job. He knoweth their works, because remember, he just got done saying that his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his doings. Then in verse 25 says, He knoweth their works, and he overturneth them in the night, so that they are destroyed. Verse 26, He striketh them as wicked men, in the open sight of others, because they turned back from him and would not consider any of his ways. Here, Elihu is telling Job, you're wicked. We don't know what your wickedness is. We don't have any evidence. We're just kind of making stuff up and just throwing it at the wall and seeing what sticks. But he says, but here's what I know. God knows everything. True statement. So therefore, God knows what wickedness you're into. That's a false statement because Job hadn't done anything wrong. So he's accusing Job, and notice, he's spiritualizing it. He has no evidence. But he says, well, I don't need anything. God knows. God knows everything. God knows. This is a false, because this is false because Job really didn't have any sin. Now, if Job did have sin, it would have been true. But it's not true because Job didn't have sin. Then we see the repentance of Job, according to Elihu. Look at verse 28. So that they caused the cry of the poor to come unto him. And he heareth the cry of the afflicted. When he giveth quietness, who then can make trouble? And when he hideth his face, who then can behold him? Whether it be done against a nation or against a man only, that the hypocrite reign not, lest the people be ensnared. Look at verse 31. Surely, this is what Elihu's telling uh, Job. It is meet to be said unto God. He's saying, Job, here's what you should say to God. I have borne chastisement. I will not offend anymore. That which I see, uh, I see not, teach thou me. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Here's what Elihu's telling uh, Job. He's saying, you need to tell God, I have borne chastisement. You punish me, God. You spanked me, and I will not offend anymore. Elihu is telling Job, you need to tell God, I'm sorry for what I did. I have done iniquity, verse 32. I will do no more. Elihu's telling Job, you need to repent, You need to tell God, I did wrong, I'm sorry, you spanked me, I'm going to stop doing it. Here's the problem, Job didn't do anything wrong. Job would have had to admit it to something in order to follow this counsel, admit it to something he never did. And by the way, let me just say this. There's something about just standing for the truth 
when you haven't actually done anything wrong and people are accusing you or suspecting you of it, there's something about just having the backbone to say, no, I didn't do it. Amen. You know, often you hear about these false confessions, and, you know, it's good to be like Job and say, no, I didn't, I'm not going to confess to something I didn't do. Job said, I'm not saying I'm perfect, I'm not saying I'm sinless, but I, I, I am saying I didn't do that. Because they're accusing him of all these wicked sins, adultery, and all sorts of uh, things. Now I want you to notice here, just by way of conclusion, look at verse 33. Should it be according to thy mind, he will recompense it, whether thou refuse or whether thou choose, and not uh, I, therefore speak what thou knowest. Let men of understanding tell me. Remember the flattery. Let men of understanding tell me, and let wise men hearken unto me. Job has spoken without knowledge, and his words were without wisdom. And I'm not going to take the time to develop this, but we've, I've showed it to you as we've traveled through the book of Job, that Job is often talking about scientific things before they were even discovered by science. And then here, Elihu says, Job has spoken without knowledge, and his words were without wisdom. That's a lie. Job has already given us all sorts of things about science and known things that he, didn't, he shouldn't have known. But he knew it because the Bible told him, because God told him. Look at verse 36. My desire is that Job may be tried unto the end because of his answers for wicked men. Now, this is where, like, you really have to say, this Elihu is, is a vindictive guy. Because here's what he's saying. My desire is that Job may be tried unto the end because of his answers. He's saying, I don't think Job has been tried enough. He needs to be tried unto his end. He, he's saying he needs to be punished more. He hasn't been punished enough. Now, think about what has Job gone through? He's lost all his wealth. All his children died. His health has, has uh, been destroyed. His wife told him, curse God and die. His friends turned on him. I mean, what else do you want him to go through? But he's like, my desire is that Job may be tried unto the end because of his answers. And then again, another false accusation. Verse 37, for he addeth rebellion unto his sin. Is that true? That's not true. Job didn't have any sin. And now he's saying, not only is he a sinner, but he won't admit it and won't repent. Now he's adding rebellion unto his sin. He clapped with his hands among us and multiplied his words against us. And he's just create, just putting all these accusations out there. He says he added rebellion to his sin. Then the question to Elihu is, okay, well, where's the evidence? What sin? Well, I don't know. God knows. Where's the evidence? Look, this chapter has the theme of false accusations against Job. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 19. We'll finish up. We're going to finish up here soon. I just want to show you this. Because, you know, we live in a society today, and I think it, I don't know if it has a lot to do with social media, but we live in, live in a society today where, where pretty much anybody can say anything about anyone. And people will just believe it. But let me tell you something. As Bible-believing Christians, this should never be us. False accusations are a big deal to God. Notice, I can show you lots of verses. I'll just show you one passage. Deuteronomy 19, look at verse 15. Notice what the Bible says. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity. He says, look, if somebody, if somebody did something wrong and one witness stands up and says, here's what they did, God says, don't punish them. You say, why? Because it's too easy for one person to lie. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, and any sin that he sinneth, 
At the mouth of, notice, here's what God says. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. God says, how do you establish that something is true? You get it at the mouth of two or three witnesses. And of course, we live in a digital age, so the witnesses don't have to be real people. They can just be evidence. They can just be uh, whatever, video or text messages or some sort of proof that this is what is going on. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says you shouldn't just believe what somebody says about, about someone just because they said it. Now, does that mean that just if somebody doesn't have any evidence, does that mean that they're lying? It doesn't necessarily mean that they're lying, but it means that we, as Bible-believing Christians, should not accept something as true, except it be by two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses. Unless there are, are two different pieces of evidence or individuals that can corroborate the story, three witnesses, you shouldn't do it. You say, why? Because false accusations can ruin somebody's life. That's why. It's wicked. And look, you know, my wife and I, in September, we've been in ministry for 11 years, and we do a lot of counseling and helping people, and here's the truth, whether you like it or not. And every time that there's a dispute, there's one story, there's another story, and somewhere in the middle is the truth. Period. There's never, there's never this like, this person's just telling all the truth, and this person's telling, that never happens. Your vain glory mind doesn't allow you to see the world that way. We perceive everything as we're innocent, we're right, and they're wrong. And by the way, your husband and your wife perceives it the same way. I'm innocent, I'm right, they're wrong. And then you come to talk to somebody who's not married to you, and they say, you're both wrong. There's your side, their side, and somewhere in the middle is the truth. Now notice what Deuteronomy 19, this is how much God hates false accusations. Verse 16. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him, that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, this is the due diligence that we hear about in the justice system. And behold, if the witness, look, so here you say, well, what if somebody says something? Oh, I, I testify to this. Do we just discard that? No. We don't assume they're telling us the truth, but we look into it. We ask around. We, we see if there's any of anybody else that uh, uh, witnessed it or is there any other evidence. But you don't just judge someone based off of what one person said. Notice verse 19. Well, look at verse 18. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition, and behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he had thought to be done unto his brother. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you. And those which remain shall hear and fear and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. You say, what does that mean? What does that mean when it says, uh, then shall ye do unto him as he hath thought to have been done unto his brother? Here's what that means. If somebody, according to the Bible, gets up and makes an accusation and it's not true, and that accusation was going to maybe get somebody into trouble. And then they find out, you know, the truth comes out that it's not true what they said. Then the person who made the false accusation, they should have done to them what they were trying to get to be done to the other person. And you say, well, I see this a little extreme. Yeah, but you know, if, if, if I'm going to make up a lie that's going to get somebody fired, 
And then it turns out they find out that I was lying. I was just bitter and envious, and I was trying to get them fired. Then, they, then what should happen is I get fired. If I was going to make up a lie that I was going to get somebody thrown in prison for 10 years, then you, and then they find out that I was lying, you know what should happen? I should get thrown in prison for 10 years. That's what the Bible says. You say, why? Because then you'll think twice before accusing somebody. You won't just make stuff up if you realize, wait a minute, if they find out that I'm lying, and you say, well, that's the Old Testament. Okay, well, let me show you the New Testament. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Look at verse 19. This is specifically about pastors. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19. 1 Timothy 5, 19. Against an elder receive not an accusation. Now here, it's different. Now I want you to notice. This is in reference to a pastor. In Deuteronomy, we're told, if somebody makes an accusation, then you look into it. And you try to figure out if it's true. He said against an elder, you don't even receive. You don't receive it. You don't hear it. Receive non-accusation, but before two or three witnesses. There's an added layer of protection for pastors. You say, Pastor, it's a little self-serving that you're teaching this about pastors when you're the pastor. Well, who else is going to teach it to you? (laughs) There's an extra layer of protection against the pastor. You say, why does God provide an extra layer of protection? Because people are constantly trying to attack our ministries. Because it's way too easy for somebody to just say some lie about you, and it could destroy your ministry. So God says, against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. He's saying, before you even hear. So if somebody says, hey, let me tell you something about pastor. The question you're supposed to ask is, do you have two or three witnesses or two or three pieces of evidence? No, I don't. Well, then I don't want to hear it. That's how you're supposed to deal with it. You say, you, you say, why? Because it's too easy to falsely accuse people in spiritual leadership. You're not even supposed to receive it. You're not even supposed to hear it. Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Then look at verse 20. This is a quote from Deuteronomy. Them that sin, rebuke before all, that others also may fear. Amen. You say, why are you bringing this up? Here's why I'm bringing it up. Because God, God hates false accusations. So before you go running your mouth about something... You better make sure you have evidence. You better make sure you have uh, witnesses. Because you say, well, it's, it's, it's true. Whether it's true or not, we're not even supposed to uh, uh, hear it or believe it. And look, when people come to me and they say, so-and-so did things, you know, I, I'm, obviously I'm never rude to anybody because they may be telling the truth, they may not be telling the truth. But you know what I always think to myself is, okay, well, that's what you're saying. So let's see if there's any truth to that. Let's go see if we have any evidence that can corroborate that story or that can, um, you know, tell us that what you're saying is true. But look, but this is what, this is what naive people do. So-and-so said this about pastors, so it must be true. So-and-so said something about Mr. Wang, so it must be true. It's like, well, do you have any evidence? No. Do you have any witnesses? No. What did you hear? Well, I heard it from my friend who heard it from her friend who heard it from their cousin. False accusations. And look, within church... You know, be careful about just saying stuff about people because here's the problem. I remember when I was a teenager, well, I'll finish up with this. When I was a teenager, I had a youth pastor who would tell us, gossip and false accusations, he said, it's like if you, if you took a bag full of feathers, you know, they used to have those pillows that were full of feathers, and you went up to the highest building in the, in the city, and you just, you know, let all those feathers go out and then, and then try to go and, and pluck them all up. Said you, you'll never be able to pluck them all back. You know, that's what you do when you just spread false gossip about people. 
because you're angry, because you're bitter, because you're whatever. That's not how we're supposed to deal with things. And, and the truth is you can never really get that back. So God hates it. God says it's wrong. We shouldn't do it. And, you know, we as Christians should not even receive it. And, and by the way, you say, oh, well, you're just saying that because you're the pastor. Hey, I give you the same, the same uh, respect. Amen. Somebody tells me something about you, I say, okay. You got any proof? You got any witnesses? You know, we shouldn't just believe things about people just because you read it on Facebook or you saw a YouTube video where they cut out a little clip and said, look what Pastor Jimenez said. Maybe you should go back and listen to the whole sermon. Amen. So here we have Elihu just falsely accusing Job, and God says, it's wicked and it's wrong. Inspire heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, this chapter. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to be people who are mature and, and grown and understand how to deal with things. And, Lord, let us never be like Elihu, who just runs with assumptions. We just assume that because things look a certain way, they must be so. Help us remember we're not God. And if we don't have evidence, then we should just keep our mouths shut. If we don't have uh, the ability to prove it, then let's not just start making accusations. And, Lord, uh, thank you for allowing us to see this chapter because the truth is many preachers and many Christians live through this. People just say things about them on the Internet or wherever, and people just believe it blindly without even questioning it. Lord, let us never be naive people like that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.